to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, with the offseason officially, officially here, let's do a free agency primer and mock draft roundup. We'll examine pro football focuses fresh off the press, top 200 free agents list. We'll take a peek at Daniel Jeremiah, Jordan Reed, the Draft Network, and a few others, and where they have the Dolphins going with the 29th pick in this year's draft. And we'll also count down Jalen Waddle's top five plays from his record-breaking rookie season from somewhere in South Florida. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So we heard Pelissero on the podcast on Monday, and he reported the Dolphins will be hiring Frank Smith to the offensive coordinator position. He is formerly the offensive line coach and running game coordinator of the Los Angeles Chargers. We're going to cover the coaching hires here in all one podcast when we have that official for you guys here with the Miami Dolphins. Now, that draft order coming up here in just two and a half months now has crystallized at least a little bit in the first round. Still have the comp picks to factor in. But for now, we know that Miami is going to pick 29th and 50th barring any trades or movement. And then that third rounder will come towards the end of the third round with the Niners compensatory pick. So somewhere in the 97 to low 100s range there. So how about a mock draft roundup? But first, before we get to that, because the start of the new league year is now just one month away and the opening of the first major player acquisition period with free agency. And Pro Football Focus just produced this week following the Super Bowl. Pretty smart layout there. They're top 100, or rather 200 free agents available. And I want to go over that list and just talk about it. Of course, we know the Dolphins have the most available cap space as it stands right now. And of course, they, like all teams, have avenues to free up even more space. So what could that room actually produce this Dolphins team in the offseason? There are obviously a couple of big decisions coming with in-house free agents, notably Emmanuel Ogbon, Mike Gesicki. And therein lies the message we have to convey off the top Because if you type those guys' names in on Twitter or Google, you're going to find fan sites and the like with commentary pieces suggesting we should go sign that defensive end or that tight end. So all of this comes with the caveat that each one of these guys could just boomerang back to their original squad. In fact, I'd say almost the majority of the time that's what happens. But as we sit here on the 16th of February, here's my take on the Pro Football Focus top 200 free agents available this year. So I thought about how to do this. Should I break it into like 20 per episode and drag it out for a couple of weeks? That might still be an option. We'll see and talk about these guys more in depth. But I wanted to take a look at just a highlighter view of going through this and noting the interesting elements and how it could impact the Dolphins approach. You know, also wanted to look at it from a roster allocation standpoint. I mean, only only cornerbacks on this Dolphins roster are even in the top 15 of the league in terms of how much cash commitments the Dolphins have to that position. It's number three in the NFL, but pretty much every other position's in the mid to late 20s. So like we've talked about, if you want your blue chip prized free agent, a la Byron Jones two years ago, you can pretty much do it wherever you want to on this roster. 
And quite honestly, you could probably swing two or maybe even three of those types of players. I just, I look at the options and what teams have done with the free agency window over the last few years, and I just think it's an incredibly undervalued mode of improving your football team. And even that statement might get greeted with some backlash since it really is the second, if not the premier player acquisition event of the calendar along with the NFL draft. But I do feel as though it creates, or catches rather, a bit of a bad rap in that the sentiment can sometimes be negative when a team adds a really good football player. And look, I get it. Free agency by design can lure teams into traps, but because of market demand, you can wind up with getting you know players with average to above average production in their career pushed up to the top of the available market just because of what the rest of their position group offers in free agency. And then that can lead to some deals that players simply can never live up to. And that's the entire idea of the National Football League, right? You get X amount of resources. Now go see if you can allocate them better than your 31 competitors. Just look at last year, for instance, like Corey Davis, a very good wide receiver, signs with the Jets. According to Over the Cap, it's a 12.6 million cap hit for him on the Jets. That's the ninth highest cap commitment to a receiver in 2021. Then, in a draft where Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith are all sitting there and producing number one receiver value on the draft board, that's where you can see the disconnect on true free agent value. And you will see this multiple times at every position. Just to continue the thought from overthecap.com, I mean, pick your team and you can find one. Like the fact that Tyler Boyd counted $9 million against the cap for the Bengals last year, while Jamar Chase was just $5.6 million. Or like the Cowboys with Amari Cooper, $22 million against the cap, and CeeDee Lamb, just three point two. This idea of balance between veteran and rookie contract and how to do that and how to allocate your resources. Now, the nice part for a team like Miami, when you've got the quarterback still on the rookie deal, you can afford to do some of this and and maybe even in some instances extend yourself above market value for that roster fit and that roster need. So while maybe you do have to overpay a little bit compared to market value and the inflation that free agent market can often bring, the idea is that you make your football team as good as you possibly can, right? And when you aren't paying that quarterback $35, $40 million, you don't have to make these concessions at other spots, a la the Cowboys with Byron Jones two years ago. So it's a yin and yang situation. Back to the detractions. And let's go ahead and start with that Cowboys team and that 2022 team in a thought that first, the argument always starts, well, why did this team allow that player to leave in the first place? And fair point, but counter that there are always going to be circumstances that make it make sense. Back to Byron Jones, one of the game's very best cornerbacks for years with the Cowboys there, and they knew they had to pay Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, Lyle Collins, Tyron Smith, Demarcus Lawrence, Amari Cooper. That's a roster that has the majority of its cap tied up into the top seven or eight players on their squad. And that's how, just how they do it. Every, every team does it differently. And that's how a Byron Jones can shake free because there's just not enough space for another one of those guys. And he happens to be the one that was a free agent due at the time. But it's absolutely imperative to understand why a player is hitting the market. I mean, if there was no such thing as a valuable free agency acquisition, and no one's saying that, it's a straw man, but you get like this backlash you're going to get inevitably when free agents sign, uh, you know, they went too far on that player. Then why are teams out there spending cash every single spring if it's not effective? Then... To further that point, right into my point B, teams have utilized free agency to take their team to the next level. And I really think it began in earnest back with the Denver Broncos and some of those Super Bowl years in the early 20-teens, whatever you call that, 
one win, one loss, where they got Wes Welker, Emmanuel Sanders, Demarcus Ware, TJ Ward, and oh yeah, Peyton Manning, obviously a unique case there with the latter. But what about more recently? What about a team who built a 20-year dynasty on the idea of draft, get four years of production, say goodbye in free agency, collect the comp picks, and just keep the train rolling? The Patriots, that's who we're talking about, have a sub-500 season one time and say forget all that, and they go out and sign Aguilar, Bourne, Henry, Smith, Godshaw, Judon, Van Noy, and most of those hit. Some of them didn't, but that's how free agency goes. And that's how that all goes. Free agency, the draft, trades, you're not going to bat 1,000, but the Patriots did that and went from seven wins to 10 wins and a playoff berth largely on the back of their free agent class. How about the Bengals representing the Super Bowl this year? Seven of their 11 starters who were the primary reason. They made this run, right? Goal line stops at the end of the wild card and championship game and got the interception right before the Titans broached field goal range. Three consecutive games, three huge drives by the defense, a bunch of picks and takeaways and sacks as well. And then damn near did it again in the Super Bowl before all those flags came out after about 47 stops in a row on the Rams offense. But I digress. So if you say it's impossible to get guys to up to speed quickly in free agency, it's not. DJ Reader, Von Bell, Chidobia Wuzier, uh, Mackenzie Alexander, Eli Apple, Larry Okunjobi, Trey Hendrickson, all these guys signed in the last two years and made a huge impact on an AFC championship title winner. They didn't win the Super Bowl, but they won the AFC. And to put a bow on this spiel of a preamble, I just want to dispel the notion of blanket statements in any avenue in this league and this sport, really any walk of life. Like, no, quote, you can't build a team through free agency, but also, no, we need to sign top-of-the-market players at position X, Y, and Z. Nope. Explore every situation case by case and determine where the true value lies. That's my argument. Long-winded. Let's go ahead and kick off the quarterbacks portion of this top 200 pro football focus free agent list. And first up on the list at number 41 among quarterbacks is Jameis Winston. He had an ACL tear midseason, played a much safer brand of quarterback than we saw in Tampa Bay where his career began. And you have to imagine he gets some potential starter money, if not in New Orleans. Up next, Bridgewater, number 49. Curious to see what type of deal he gets. Could easily see him landing in a situation with a young quarterback where he's kind of the experienced number two there, which, of course, you can always afford when you have that rookie deal at the starting position. Speaking of guys that went the backup route, Marcus Mariota's number 70, Andy Dalton's 113, Ryan Fitzpatrick 117, and then Mitch Trubisky is 126. And he could be interesting in that he has starting experience, probably some more upside as he's a younger player at the position, and he has a skill set where you can get him on the field occasionally with some potential razzle-dazzle. How about wide receivers? The number one player on the entire list is in this position group, Devontae Adams of the Packers. He's going to break records with his contract for non-quarterbacks, whether that's with Green Bay or elsewhere. He's the best receiver in football, and herein lies the point of my preamble. We talked about market value. Because this class is so deep, maybe you have the opposite effect of teams having to pony up top of market dollars for players who have not produced at that level because this market is chock full of players who have produced. Chris Godwin's number three overall. He's a phenomenal player. One of the best in the game. Mike Williams, number seven from the Chargers. Another great receiver. Allen Robinson's number 10. Four players in the top 10 are receivers on our list of top 200 free agents. Robinson's also a tremendous player at number 10. Number 19 is... Odell Beckham Jr., who had a great run here with the Rams, and then Michael Gallup from the Cowboys, who I absolutely love, is number 28 overall. So that's four, five, six players in the top 28, four in the top 10. Do these guys shake free? How much do they wind up costing? It's a great crop 
of free agent wide receivers. You also have Juju Smith-Schuster at 42, Christian Kirk at 50, DJ Moore at 51, then some others that stand out. 103 is Cedric Wilson from the Cowboys. It's been a nice complimentary piece there. Isaiah McKenzie from Buffalo at 200. I also like his game a whole heck of a lot too. He's interesting there as well. The running back position, Cordell Patterson kicks us off at number 38. I've long been fascinated by his career, even more so now that he kind of became the linchpin of that Falcons offense as a running back more than a receiver. He does both of them, but you watch that Falcons team last year. They were best when Cordell Patterson was cranking. Lenny Fournette, number 68. Then the Arizona running backs, James Conner, 71, Chase Edmonds, 78. Then you get Melvin Gordon at 88. Then more than 100 spots later, J.D. McKissick at 189 has had a nice career as a kind of third down receiving back. And then Raheem Mostert checks in at 187. I did that backwards, but sometimes that's just how a dyslexic mind tends to operate. So the running back position, uh, there's some interesting guys here in terms of their flexibility. Obviously, Cordell Patterson mentioned that already in terms of being able to do multiple things and kind of power inside, outside runners, some trickeration there involved as well. Interesting class there. The draft also kind of that same like interesting names, but not the the deepest and, and best group we've seen in recent years at the running back spot. How about tight ends? It starts with an incumbent and Mike Gasicki at number 20. We know what he does well. Number 21 is Dalton Schultz from Dallas. Number 38 is Rob Gronkowski. And these two guys are really two guys that do it all in terms of block, run game, pass game. And I'm curious to see if Gronk calls it a career, but Schultz is just entering his prime, really. You have to imagine he sets the market there at the position. And with 78 catches and tons of good work in the blocking game, it's it, I'll be curious to see what he gets. I'll also be curious to see what David and Joku's market looks like. I say that because I subscribe to the always invest in talent idea, like Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks have said for a long time on the Move the Sticks podcast. And I don't think Njoku's production has matched his talent at this point of his career. And that's kind of what I was getting at in the preamble, scouring for the best potential market buys who could outperform their perceived value. This is a pretty good class too. Zach Ertz, 58, Gerald Everett, 62, uh, Evan Ingram, 73, Max Williams, 95, Mo Alley-Cox, a big blocking tight end there for the Colts, 108. And then Robert Tunyon, 129. And then not until 172 do we get another tight end with Jared Cook. How about the interior offensive line? One of the stronger groups here in terms of players on this free agent class with number 12, the center from the Buccaneers, Ryan Jensen. He was on my radar back in 2018 when he was with the Ravens and he's only gotten better. Jensen's strengths really are finishing and maintaining blocks and blocking in space. PFF has graded him in the 70th percentile or better the last three years among all centers in both gap and zone scheme. So he's well diverse there. And then at guard, Brandon Scherf is back up after getting tagged last couple of seasons, two tags in a row. And availability is really the only thing with him. He missed four games last year, and but he's one of the best guards in all of football. Brandon Scherf has been for a long time. At 26, You've also got Lincoln Tomlinson, who spent the last five years with McDaniel in San Francisco. And PFF writes that he developed into one of the game's best guards under Kyle Shanahan and McDaniel. And he started with the Lions, so he's played both in gap and zone schemes. Versatile, nasty finisher, and he excels in space. And the list keeps rolling here. Number 38, Connor Williams, played the last 33 games over the last two years for the Cowboys. PFF notes his combo blocking and working out in space and on the move. At number 40, James Daniels, an awesome prospect from Iowa a couple of years ago. He's not even 24 yet. Strengths in pass blocking as well as zone run blocking. 46, Titans Ben Jones. 53, the Austin Corbett from the Rams, the guard. 56, Andrew Norwell, who got a huge contract from the Jaguars four years back. Uh, 64, Alex Kappa. Wonder if Tampa Bay can keep both he and Jensen and Godwin. He's only scratching the surface on what he can do. 
And it's a lot. And then 67, Brian Allen, the, the center from the Chargers, had a break, or rather the Rams, I should say, had a breakout season in 2021 and comes from the same system that Coach McDaniel has talked about. And rounding out center, Bradley Bozeman at 94, then a big gap to Trey Turner at 119, Quentin Spain at 129, Matt Paradis at 132, and Ted Karras at 133. Interesting crop there. At tackle, number two, Teron Armstead on the overall big board, number two, as an all-pro type of player who will be 31 by the time training camp starts, and he's missed games every year. That's really the only knock on him. Nine last year, two the year before that, one before that, six the previous year, and then six the year before that as well. So he's missed plenty of time, but he's played really well when he's out there. Number nine on the overall list, Orlando Brown. Have to imagine KC tries to strike a deal there after trading a first-round pick last year. Length can block out the sun, a huge tackle. Number 32 is Dwayne Brown, one of the most consistent solid players of the last decade for two different clubs entering age 36 season, but we also saw Andrew Whitworth play well into his 40s, or play well into his 40 se- age 40 season. We'll see if he can do the same thing. And that's probably the line of demarcation in terms of cost. Next, you have 57, Morgan Moses, 58, Eric Fisher, 79, Trent Brown, 91, Riley Le- Reef, <laughs> 92, Jermaine Effetti, and then 118, Brandon Schell. Again, this could all change in the next month, but it's a really, really deep class at receiver, tight end, and on the interior offensive line. And depending on how the next month goes, there could be some plug-and-play tackle options we shall see. It's also a very, very deep tackle class in this draft. Continuing our offseason theme next, we'll do a mock draft roundup and go around the web, taking a look at a handful of fresh off-the-presses mock drafts, and also talk about the defensive side of free agency. All that next here, Drive Time Podcast with Travis Wingfield. We are presented by Auto Nation here on the Drive Time Podcast with Travis Wingfield. We've gone over the free agency class a little bit here, and with the Super Bowl coming and going, that always means we get a bunch of mock drafts to look over. We'll get to that right after the defense here as we pick it back up with the PFF Top 200 free agents, starting with the interior defensive line. Number 23 is the first position that checks in here, and Akeem Hicks of the Chicago Bears, one of the very best. He'll be expensive. At number 30, Calais Campbell, 69, Fularunzo Fadakasi from the Jets, 76, BJ Hill, 77, DJ Jones from the Niners, 81, Linval Joseph, and number 85, Sebastian Joseph Day. And the reason I kind of cut that list short and just didn't go that far into it is because we've talked about this so many times, how deep Miami is in that position group, how young they are, and how they have guys under contract for the next season and just looking forward for some more progress from that group. If they add to it, fantastic. That's always a welcome sign, but this position group, I think, is one of Miami's strongest and deepest. Off the edge, a bunch of players in this group. Number four, Von Miller. Number five, Chandler Jones. Number 13, Jadavian Clowney. 14, Randy Gregory. At number 22, our own Emmanuel Ogba. Melvin Ingram's 24. Hassan Reddick's 31. Harold Landry's 33. At 37, Justin Houston. Every two positions, the edge player. 39, Jerry Hughes. 54, Derek Barnett. And that's where your big lineup demarcation comes. 107, Charles Harris. 109, Jason Pierre-Paul. 127, Yuchen the outside rusher for the Chargers. I wanted to lay that out first because it just speaks to the depth of the group. Not to mention it's another really good class of edge defenders in this upcoming draft. So I'm very intrigued to see what that does to the market. Does it dilute it a little bit? Miller, Jones, those guys are going to be market resetters. So maybe that can calm the secondary wave at the position. And maybe you find some bargains. Just an interesting, interesting group there. And again, one of the uh, incumbents, I should say, on the Dolphins roster, number 22 there in Emmanuel Ogba. What about off-ball linebackers? 
It starts at number 27 with the first linebacker, Devondre Campbell, then a bit of a drop to 55 for Alexander Johnson, 61, Foyasade Olakun, 63, Leighton Vander Esch, a, was he a rookie of the year candidate for the Cowboys a few years back? 65, Josie Jewell, the try-hard do-it-all linebacker for the Broncos, 75, Dante Hightower, 86, Anthony Barr, 99, Kaiser White, a former safety convert, 139, Jawan Bentley, and 163, Jayon Brown. I think you look at that list for the potential true Mike linebacker, and once again, we look to the draft where I think probably the two best players available at the spot among free agents or draft or otherwise would be Devin Lloyd from Utah and N'Kobe Dean from Georgia. And honestly, there's a handful of really good-looking linebacker prospects in that draft. So I look at this off-ball linebacker spot here of the free agents, and it's a lot of speed guys, a lot of sub guys, some guys that play off the edge and, and more 4-3 type of looks, and the few occasions you do run that type of defense more so than the sub package or the nickel defense that brings less than seven guys in your front seven. But you look at that group and there's just Jawan Bentley, uh, Leighton Van Der Esch, really the two big, big time Mike linebackers in that list. At cornerback, number six, JC Jackson, a true, true ball hawk who probably is, he's probably the only guy in Xavier Howard's stratosphere when it comes to ball hawking on defense. And if not tagged, He's going to cash in big time. His running mate for a long time is number 15 and the number two cornerback in Stephon Gilmore. Then number 16 is in Gilmore's new division, Carlton Davis, who was built in a lab with the physicality contesting targets. He's developed into an absolute stud out of Auburn. 25, Casey Hayward, inside-outside skill set. 36, Darius Williams from the Rams received a first-round restricted free agent tender last year. He's a priority there, as he should be. 45, Steven Nelson, 46, Traverius Ward from the Chiefs, a very nice rookie, or I should say late round draft pick, who had a great rookie contract run with them. Number 48, DJ Reader, number 66, Bryce Callahan, 76, Dante Jackson, 84, Robert Altford, 93, Patrick Peterson, and then 100 is Rasul Douglas, who had that career resurgence there with the Packers. Then there's two 49ers in Kawan Williams and Akella Witherspoon, who are back-to-back in the 120. So that cornerback group, again, we talked about Roster resource allocation Miami right now at the cornerback position. Pretty well invested there, but always good to know what's out there. At the safety position, Miami's pretty well represented here as well, but number eight on the overall big boards, Marcus Williams. He'll probably set the market. The Saints cap situation is tight. Big time player on the back end, so we'll see if he can come back there. At a position that typically doesn't pay out like some of the others, like edge or like offensive tackle, or especially not quarterback. Number 11 is one of my favorite players in the entire NFL Jesse Bates, a true center fielder with elite range, anticipation of ball skills. Then 17 is Tyron Matthew, kind of rounds out the top of this class. We know what Tyron Matthew can do at this point of his career. He's fantastic. Then you get to number 44, Marcus May, had a brutal timing for an Achilles injury this year, heading into a second contract, but he's turned into a stud for the Jets back there. 52, Quandre Diggs for the Seahawks, might be one of the most underrated players in the entire National Football League. Number 70, Jordan Whitehead. Number 72, J. Ron Curse. So, to recap it all, the edge position is very deep. The top of the corner class is pretty insane. Safety and off-ball linebacker a bit light. I think the offensive side is where the power balance tilts in this class. And again, this can all change, but with one month until the new league year, it's a good idea to look at this position by position and sort of evaluate where you might be able to find value. And that feels like it could be the receiver position, maybe that second wave at the edge position, And across the entire offensive line, that sounds pretty good. Although it does bear stating that with that latter position, 
that it's kind of the league demand for that kind of wipes that out. So we'll see what happens, but very, very interesting stuff. And with that, mock draft season also is here. And we start here in our mock draft roundup with the man himself, Daniel Jeremiah, has Jamison Williams of the Alabama Crimson tied to the Miami Dolphins to pick number 29. He, you know, this kind of goes back to my point about the Super Bowl with Beckham and, and uh, Cooper Cup and how much the offense changed when that secondary weapon went down. And Jeremiah tweeted about that himself and his kind of championship pieces idea that you have to have multiple weapons on offense. That's what Jamison Williams would probably give the Dolphins if he makes it there this far. The injury is probably the only reason he makes it that far down the board because Lance Zerline also has Jamison Williams here and he notes the yak ability, which we've talked about with Mike McDaniel, probably only there again at this point because the injury he suffered in the national championship. For me, he challenges as the number one receiver in this class if he's healthy. Bucky Brooks of NFL.com has N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker we mentioned with the Dolphins pick here at number 29, an absolute field general, a great tackler, a great rusher, great in coverage. He's very good at everything he does. The Draft Network, the other guy at that position, Devin Lloyd, number 29 to the Miami Dolphins from Utah. He's very good at everything that he does. I'm looking at this 29th pick. There's some good value here. Pro Football Focus has Garrett Wilson, the Ohio State receiver who broke 19 of seven, 19 tackles, I should say, on 70 catches. The yak abilities with Pro Football Focus likes about his game. Jordan Reed at ESPN, he did a two-round mock draft a week ago, and he gave Miami Logan Hall, the Houston defensive end, the kind of bigger 270-pound defensive end, and he wrote that Hall stuck out, quickly stuck out as one of the most physically imposing prospects at senior bowl practices. He created easy wins at the line of scrimmage with his hands, length, and wide array of moves. He also has the versatility to fit multiple schemes and spots up front. Hall is still scratching the surface on what he can become, and his foundation of natural traits could make him an early round contributor on a defensive line rotation. Then we get Bernard Raymond, the offensive tackle from Central Michigan. We've covered him a lot, but Reed writes that he's a hard-nosed blocker who's more than reliable in pass protection. So there you go with 29, number 50. You wind up with Logan Hall and Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan. So this, you know, that's this year's mocks as of mid-February. Last year, lots of folks had the speedy, reliable wideout from Alabama mock to Miami. And that's how it went. And we are paid off with a whole bunch of broken records from number 17 himself, Jalen Waddle. We'll look at the top five plays from Jalen Waddle in 2021 coming up next here on the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation. Back here on the Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast, February the 16th. And I will never forget sitting in my apartment last fall with Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins talking about what to do with that Texans pick that was at the time probably in the low 10s, but would continue to rocket upwards. And I was telling Kyle how my preference basically shifted based upon who I watched most previously, because that's how good the wide receiver slash tight end with Kyle Pitts class was with Waddle, Chase, and Smith. And I'll give it to Kyle for really driving home the Waddle point. And that was always the beauty of the position the Dolphins were in, right? They had a big need to the receiver position in a class where you had legit four blue chip prospects in that position again, Pitts included, and something I brought up a lot last draft season that so many draft pundits had some combination of Lawrence, Waddle, Chase, Pitts, Smith in their top five, four of the top five players at those skill positions. So to get out there with one of them and an additional first round draft pick, still think that was one of the true strokes of genius in terms of draft board manipulation we've seen. And while the extra one in 2023 is great, The real treat was seeing Jalen Waddell do his thing all year long. And we're going to get into his top five plays 
which was so tough to choose. But before we do that, and the reason it was tough to choose, we have to mention that there are so many routes that I think could go into this collection. Routes where the ball doesn't even come his way. I mean, turning the defensive back all the way around, getting access the defensive back was specifically guarding against with his pre-snap leverage, or even on simple eight-yard catches on out routes where he does it against outside leverage. It's just, I don't think the numbers did justice to what he did or especially what he's capable of doing. I mean, there's a reason Coach was doing this on Friday. Waddle! Out of that guy. Okay. Waddle! <laughs> so there you heard it. Let's go ahead and get to it. Let's count on the top five plays by number 17, and we start with his first career touchdown in New England. Eighth play of the drive. On the move is Waddle. Tua. Waddle to the pylon. Touchdown! And the Dolphins are going on top. As the Dolphins go back on top, 17, or rather 16 to 10, at the time of that touchdown, opening drive of the second half in a tie game, catches a three-yard flat route. And the part that I love... I mean, besides the fact that it was his first career touchdown, was the understanding for how to find that pylon and basically erase the relevance of the hit put on by the defender. You'll see him extend and make sure that the body parts that count against being down are elevated, like his knees, so that he can survive the hit and find that pylon. I asked him about how he did that. What's the skill set there? Because he scored another touchdown just like that, where he kind of angles his body so the knees can't go to the ground. And he basically said there's no real thought. It's just instincts taking over. And those are some pretty good instincts to have. So number five, the first career touchdown there for Jalen Waddle. Number four gets us back into the end zone when the Waddle was born. Tour fires in the end zone. Catch at the goal line. Jalen Waddle has a Dolphin touchdown. What a throw from Tua Tagovailoa. Audio clip's not going to do it justice there, but, and technically he did do the waddle the week prior against the Jets, but the Carolina waddle was when it caught national attention, and I plugged this play in simply because it was a microcosm for the skills that impressed me most with Jalen Waddle in his rookie season. Go up, stick it, pull it down, protect yourself. This was an element of his game that I think people hadn't necessarily seen that side of him. They all knew about his speed, but you got a chance to watch him really show his full complement of skills this season. And in fact, he was second among all rookie receivers in contested catches with 12. Jamar Chase had 13. Next, we get downfield in week 17. First and 10. Fake to Johnson who offers a block and going deep and he's looking for Waddle. He got him! Inside the 30. Big time completion. 45 yards. Waddle's first catch. Since the game opening drive, and it's a beauty. Well, it's another layered route. And what you're doing is you're giving the quarterback an option. You line up in a bunch formation, waddles to the outside. He's running a deep or a high angle corner route. And then underneath, Parker, he's lined up to the inside. He goes off and they switch release. So then all of a sudden, Parker comes out at about 15 to 20 yards. And then you have your third receiver going in the flat. As a quarterback, two at time to buy a low, you get to look at those layers, decide where you can take advantage, and he got Waddle for the big game. He beat Hooker. Trailing by 14 in the fourth quarter with 12.31 to go, the Dolphins' offense needed some explosives, and they went to the rookie as Tua airs one right into the breadbasket, and Waddle gets under it and keeps the feet in around the sideline, and you see him create separation by attacking that post safety, then whipping that thing back to the corner, 
just like he did back in week number 10 for our second play on our countdown here, 45 more yards against the Baltimore Ravens. To a protected downfield, up there's the rookie, Waddle. To the 25. And we heard from Marlon Humphrey, and he gave the rookie some effusive praise after that game. And that was a huge play and a big win on third down to extend a drive. And I think the most impressive thing here was from a condensed split, they wind up backing up 10 yards, the cornerback with inside leverage. And there's a second DB to the post. So two guys on the inside and Jalen still threatens that skinny post and backs his man off. And then the minute he starts to flip those hips to get vertical, Jalen whips that thing back to the outside to the corner and creates a ton of separation. It's another perfect ball as Next Gen Stats gave it a 30.6% completion probability. Number one on our list here was higher, but it went longer. If he has time, fires one there. That's right on target to Jalen Waddle, and he is zooming inside the 15 of the Panthers. 57 yards against the Carolina Panthers. And I put this one at the top because I think it's the most telling about what we have here in Jalen Waddle. I remember watching this game back that week and watching this play so many times and just laughing to myself. I don't, I know he didn't finish with a touchdown on the play because there was a safety up over the top, but the way he ran away from the pack was just so alarming. The urgency with which he plays, the explosion on that first step after the catch, the speed. I mean, gosh. I cannot wait to watch what Coach McDaniel can get out of this guy as well as Wes Welker in that receiver's room. All right. Oh, yeah. First, real quick before we get out of here, now that football is no more for a few months, what are you guys watching out there? I've been watching Euphoria. I didn't anticipate watching this or anticipate loving it, and it might come off like a high school drama, but the depth of it is so much more than that. These pre-intro character origin stories are so well done that they do, and then Zendaya, the lead actor, Talk about a prodigy, just incredible at her craft. And the cinematography, the score, they both bring out the most of the show. I've also been watching tons of mountain climbing documentaries. Never thought you could simulate that kind of pit in your stomach feeling without actually being in the throes of your own fear of heights. But these documentaries bring it out like multiple times for minutes at a time. I just can't fathom how LeClerc, the main guy from The Alpinist, summited Tori Egger. It made no sense to me. Then with Free Solo and what he did, I I make a little more sense of it all because of the prep that he put in. But then to climb up those cracks and those little footholds that extend like a quarter of an inch and the faith of your hand grip to take each step they do, to me, it's pure lunacy and some of the most gripping storytelling I've ever seen with some of the best visuals as well. And then, of course, the new South Park season. How good was that second episode? Might have been the best retcon ever done and certainly the funniest joke on their own audience any show has ever done. Also, the Fish Tank episode with Dan Levitard, you got to check that episode out. It's it's phenomenal from start to finish. Do that and then come back to us on the Friday edition of Drive Time. We'll have that podcast for you here in about 48 hours. As for my time, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WinkfulNFL as well as Instagram and follow the Miami Dolphins across all social media channels. And again, check out that Fish Tank episode and all their catalog with Seth and OJ, our YouTube channel for Dolphins today, and MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy is coming home.